I'd just like to introduce myself. I am Joel Radford, the pastor of this church, but that also means I get the, the joy of being a part of the preschool as well. And so I get to go over and, and speak with your children uh, once a week and share with them a Bible story, and that's always a delight. I go over there and I feel like I'm a celebrity. They seem to have latched onto my name and they all cried out in unison together. I can't walk past the, the fence there now without all these little cries uh, as I'm going to the shops or something, calling out my name. They are a, a genuine delight to, to teach and um, I am very grateful for this, this role that I have here. But let's uh, look into God's word now before we uh, hear from the children. So let's, uh, uh, before we do that, uh, speak with our God and, and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for the many blessings that you give us and we thank you for the blessing of your word which tells us how to live for you, tells us what to believe and how best to understand you. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray that as we uh, look into your word this morning that you may help us to understand what it says and that our lives may be changed and transformed as we hear your voice and we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. I became a father for the first time a number of weeks ago, uh, five weeks now. So we, my wife and I, Jill, we've welcomed a little son into our house, Joshua Harry Radford, and uh, he has been a genuine delight to us. But I don't think I realise how hard it is, how much work is involved in having a child. Firstly, you've got, to, you've got to get pregnant, which can be difficult for some. But once you've gotten pregnant, there's all these things that you have to do. Uh, you have to purchase a number of things. There's things like the cot that you have to buy. There's things which I kind of knew about. But then there's things like nappy bins, which I hadn't even heard of. These things where you end up with this sausage of nappies afterwards, which uh, are an interesting phenomenon, to say the least. But there's things like the car seat, which you had to go out and buy as well, and you have to judge which ones are the best and whether they are going to protect your child. And then you're even encouraged to go and get it checked at a, a, a mechanic that checks these things to see that you've installed it properly, which uh, I was forced to do even though I assured my wife repeatedly that I had followed the instructions of the car manual and the instructions of the car seat manual as well, but I still had to go and get it checked. We have to get things like the baby bouncer, you have to get clothes, you have to get nappies as well for when the baby arrives. And then you've got the pregnancy classes. I didn't realise how long these went on for. We went to RPA and they had a seven week one of two hours a week so 14 hours all up and they did run overtime as well so it wasn't like it was a straight two hours uh, so those went on and on and then there's all those books that you're supposed to read as well I was, I was only required to read one in particular uh, one about feeding and sleeping and getting them into a sort of a cycle then there's the labour and the birth that's a lot of work as well not so much for me but for my wife I sat there feeding her ice chips uh, while she was... Uh, Screaming? Well, no, not while she was screaming, between screams it was, that I spooned ice chips into her. Uh, but I don't think I realised that how dependent the child is as well, how much work is involved once you get the baby home from the hospital. There's uh, so many things, even just holding the child, they're dependent upon you. They can't even hold their neck up. You've got to support their neck and their head because they can't hold it up. Whereas a lot of animals, I've, I've read, can walk within minutes of being born. Whereas this little child that we have, you can't even, uh, it can't even hold itself up. You've got to hold it up and make sure that you support its head. 
and then you need to even uh, help them eat uh, it, and they, they do this repeatedly. I didn't realise how frequently they fed. I thought they might get an extra meal or two uh, from the regular three meals a day but it's every two and a half to three hours and then he feeds for an hour which then means it's only really an hour and a half or two hours till the next feed. So he's only really got an hour and a half, two hour break and there's sort of that window that you can get to before you have to do it all again. And it's a full meal every time. It's not like you have morning tea, which is kind of small, and then you have a big lunch and then you have an afternoon tea and then you have a, a big dinner. It's a full meal every one. I mean, if I was to do that, I'd be huge uh, and I, I wouldn't mind doing that but I restrict myself from feeding every three hours and doing a full meal at each one. And then you, you even need to change his nappy pretty regularly. Sometimes that's easy, sometimes it's quite difficult depending on whether you've tied the nappy on properly previously. We have had ones where uh, it's come all out his, um, the back of his nappy down over the clothes and, uh, and then you need to do a full change and then he gets upset about that as though uh, we are the ones to blame. Uh, and then, you know, when he cries, you've got to make this decision. There's a lot of work involved with that. You've got to think, well, is he just being a sook or is he in pain? Has he got a dirty nappy? Is he actually really hungry? You've got to all the time be assessing every time he makes a whimper what you're going to do. All this work's involved and even when he sleeps, You've got to try and help him. You've got to work out what you've got to do. Because when, when we first got him home from hospital, I thought, oh yes, he likes his arms waving around. So we won't you know, tie down his arms or restrict him in any way because we want to do what he likes. But then I watched him sleep one day and every time he sort of does this involuntary motion, he wakes himself up and then starts to sook again. So we decided we'd end up swaddling him, you know, putting one of these wraps around him firmly so he can't move his arms. And so then that was an ordeal as to how you do that. And so we got on YouTube and we, there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can swaddle your baby. All these different mums around the world are getting out their babies. Usually they use a doll, rarely did they use an actual baby. And they swaddle it up and so we tried different ones. Some of them were tricky and so we've settled on one now. And I like to say that I'm the best swaddler in the house. Uh, and Jill sometimes swaddles him and he gets his arms out. But when I swaddle him, it always stays in. So even when he's sleeping, you've got to work at helping him to sleep. And even in his awake times, we've got to work out what we do with him. And there are certain things that I'm not allowed to do with him when I have father-son bonding time with uh, my Joshua because I like listening to dance music, sort of hard techno. And Jill, my wife, says that makes her a bit anxious, a bit nervous when I listen to it around her. And she says, that'll do the same to the baby. So you've got to listen to calm, soothing music. And we actually have baby CDs of classical music that you're supposed to put on while he's awake. You've got to do all these things to help the baby, to work at the baby, to make sure that he's in the best environment possible for him. But I'm sure this is just the beginning. Some of you obviously have lots of older children and that there is more work involved. But this has no guarantee of his love and affection in life, I've got to remind myself, that some children grow up after you've done all this work for them and they end up hating you. They end up turning their back upon you and going off and pretending like you never exist anymore. And uh, this happens uh, quite commonly, uh, that children turn on their parents and decide they don't want to have anything to do with their parents. And you can actually even divorce your parents. An ABC report a couple of years ago talked about a 14-year-old Victorian boy being the youngest child in Australia to divorce his parents. 
And now I can see some sense in that the state would step in and take children away from parents when they're in an abusive situation. But this court case was for irreconcilable differences, that the state stepped in and said there's no evidence of harm or abuse, but for this, uh, this child has filed against his parents for irreconcilable differences and the parents were uh, basically not enjoying him graffitiing his bedroom and lighting fires in the bedroom. And so he didn't like that they were telling him not to do this and so he filed for irreconcilable differences and the state came in and they took him out to a foster home instead. Children do divorce their parents. Children do end up, after all that love and affection that is poured upon them, turning around and rejecting their parents. And if our Joshua were to grow up and do this, it would be a tragedy. It'd be a terrible thing. It's not a nice thing, I'm sure, for children to grow up and reject their parents. And if any of your children were to grow up and do that, I'm sure you would be uh, terribly broken inside, terribly grieved that your child has turned around and done that, particularly after all the work you have put into uh, in helping them grow and into a loving and nurturing environment. But that's exactly what humans have done to God. The children will soon give us a presentation about how God created the world, about how he made it in six days and how he created all things. But he didn't just create humans, he didn't just create Adam and Eve and leave them on their own. He put them in a loving place, he put them in a, a garden with all the good things that they needed to help them grow and he, he dwelt with them. He used to walk in the garden, it says in the Bible, and he used to live with them and he was there with them like we are with our children. He cared for them and loved them greatly. But then Adam and Eve turned around and divorced themselves from God the Father. The God who had created them, they turned around and said, we want to be cut off from you. And that's what they did when they ate from the tree that was forbidden. They ate, they sinned against God and said, we don't want you as our father anymore. We don't want you as our creator. We want to do things our way. We don't want to obey your rules. We want a divorce from you, God. And that's what they did. And God was merciful, he was patient with them and didn't cut them off completely which is what uh, he would be expected to do when a child turns around and says no, I don't want you in my life anymore. God was patient with them and merciful and so he did not give up on them. He continued to supply Adam and Eve with good things. He did cast them out of the garden but he did continue to supply them with the air that they breathed. He supplied them with food and clothing and shelter he supplied them with good things, like a, a parent whose child divorces them, the, the parent doesn't cut up the credit card, cut off the, the bank accounts. They let the child continue to experience financial support from the parent, even though the child has said, I don't want you in my life, but I will still take those blessings that you want to give me. That's what God did. He said, I will continue to, to help you and so that you will return to me. I'm still being merciful to you, return to me. But the majority of people didn't. People wanted to continue sinning against God and not wanting to turn back to him and be reconciled with him. So God still didn't give up. He sent ambassadors, he sent, people, uh, he sent angels to, to mankind, to sinful humans and said, come back to me. This is the message that God wants you to understand. Come back to me. Be my children again. And the majority of people didn't listen. It's kind of like lawyers being sent from the, the, the divorced parent to the child's lawyer saying, come back to me, return to me. 
but sinful humans didn't. We see the majority of them didn't return even when angels came with a message to say, this is how you are to return to me. But God still didn't give up then. God the Father still didn't give up. He sent friends, people who knew God and knew sinful humans and they were trying to ensure a match between them. They were saying, this is what God wants you to do. Come back, be returned to him. Stop this divorce that's going on. And so we see those people throughout the Old Testament, people like Moses, people like David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, the prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, those people who knew God, knew sinful people, and they said, come on, let's get a match together. Let's get back together. Kind of like a divorced parent might send a family friend or maybe an aunt or uncle who knows both parties, loves both parties and wants to see them get back together. But sinful humans, for the most part, didn't return even when they had prophets come, even when they had people like Moses come and say, let's get back together, let's stop this divorce between us and God. And so then God still didn't give up. He had one last thing that he did. He came himself, like a parent who has been divorced from their child, comes to the child and pleads and says, come on, come back to me, stop this divorce that's going on. And so that's when we see Jesus Christ come into the world 2,000 years ago. He came, God himself, to reconcile people back to God, to put them in a right relationship with God again. And what did they do? They didn't accept the message. Instead, they rejected Jesus Christ as well. They crucified him on the cross. They didn't just reject the message, they actually killed him. People throughout church history, throughout the history of the Bible, repeatedly do not want to be reconciled with God the Father, their creator. They want to be divorced. And it's the same for us today. In this 21st century, It is the same for us. We have all been created by God. That's what this passage that Ali read for us just before says, that we have all been created by God. Verse 16 of that Colossians chapter 1 in your handout there, it says, For by him, for by Jesus Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. God the Father created everything through Jesus Christ. If we exist, we are created. That means we belong to God the Father. We are all in this room children of the God who created us. And he continues to bless us. The reason why we, we hold together is because of God. It says in verse 17, He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He sustains us. He gives us food. He gives us oxygen to breathe. All the blessings that we experience are from God. He is the one who is sustaining us right now. The only reason we can stand is because God is blessing us. He is a God who has continually blessed us as his children. But then we see that we also have cut ourselves off from God. We aren't different from the sinful humans who went before us. What does verse 21 say? Verse 21 of that passage, little number 21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. 
When we sin, we are aliens from God. We are divorced children from him because of our evil behaviour. And we start from a young age sinning against God and saying, we don't want you in our lives. We don't want to follow your laws. And so we become aliens from God. And that deserves God's punishment. That deserves God to cut us off. That's what hell actually is. Christianity knows of the doctrine of hell and there's lots of misunderstandings about what hell will be. It'll be a party for all the wicked people to get together and have a good time. But what it is in reality, it is God saying, enough, I'm not going to sustain you anymore. I'm not going to let you use your credit card. I'm going to remove myself from your life. You want to be divorced from me? Well, let's do that. And that's what hell is. It is where God is not. And when he goes, he takes all the blessings with him. He takes all those good things that we experience in this world, he takes them with him. And so then we are truly divorced from God. But God provides a way back so that we don't have to have that happen. He is patient with us and merciful to us and he has provided a way so that he can be a righteous God and recognise that we have done the wrong thing and divorced but come back to him. And he did that through Jesus Christ. Those verses continue. But now, so we were alienated it says in verse 21. Verse 22 says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. By Christ's physical body, by his death on the cross, we can be reconciled to God. And so it ends up that it's like we were never divorced in the first place. It says there, through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. People can't accuse you anymore if you believe in Jesus' death for yourself. They can't accuse you of, oh, you were divorced previously from God. God really should punish you. You sinned against him. No, Jesus experienced that punishment on the cross. That's why he calls out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, God, you've turned your back on me. I'm experiencing hell here. You have gone away from me and taken all your blessings with you. Jesus experienced hell on the cross for us so that we won't need to because we've divorced ourselves from him. Instead, he welcomes us back in if we believe. That's the very next verse. It says, it says in verse 23, if you continue in your faith, you've got to have faith. You've got to believe, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. You have to believe in Jesus Christ as the hell for you for your divorce. Otherwise, God isn't a righteous God. He's not a just God if he just lets you back in to his life, into a relationship with him. If you have done these bad things, then punishment needs to be felt somewhere. And instead of it going on you, it goes on Jesus Christ and his body at the cross, if you believe. So that's what Christianity is all about. It's about getting us back to the God who made us, the Creator, getting us back to our loving Heavenly Father who continues to sustain us. Stop being divorced with Him. Come back to Him is what Christianity is all about. And so we have a choice to make. Every human is created and every human has a choice to make about how they respond to God their Father. One, 
You can be divorced from him, continue to experience his blessings in this world by him not cutting up your credit card like a divorced parent may not. You can do that, but it only happens for a time. It only goes on until you die. Once you die, it is all over. God then says, okay, you want a divorce? I'll give you divorce. And that's what punishment in hell is. It's a removal from God's presence. Or the alternative is that we believe in God, that we trust in him. We trust in Jesus Christ as the hell for us on the cross and so we are put back into a right relationship with him and we experience his loving blessings here and we experience his blessings in heaven where we will be back in his presence in a way that we can't be with him now. In the Garden of Eden, as the children will show us, God was there. He was dwelling amongst them. Because of our divorce, he doesn't dwell with us the same way now. But if we believe in him, when we get to heaven, it will be back to the Garden of Eden. We'll be dwelling with him for an eternity instead of having him remove himself from us like we would desire, like we want, our sinful selves want. So I ask you this morning, are you divorced from God your Father? If you have sinned against him, and it's very easy to sin, starts very young, we are all sinners, are you still divorced from God your Father? Are you still experiencing his blessings and don't want him around? I'd be grieved if my son Joshua grows up to divorce himself from me and our Heavenly Father is grieved that so many of his creations don't want to be right with him. Is that including you? Do you not want to be in a right relationship with God your Father? Or the alternative, have you chosen to come back to him, to believe in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, say sorry for the divorce, and I want Jesus' death to be my death. You can do that this morning if you've never done it before. You can believe in Jesus Christ as the hell for you, that punishment that is needed for your divorce from him, your sin against him. You can do that right now. You just need to say sorry to God in your head and trust in Jesus. Trust in his death for you. It is my hope that everyone in this room has done that because it is a terrible thing to be divorced from the God who made you. Trust in Jesus this morning. Repent of your sins. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you that you have made us. We thank you that you sustain us and continue to shower your blessings upon us. We thank you that you did not give up on us when we divorced ourselves from you by sinning and saying we want to run our own lives, but that you continue to show us the way back to yourself the way to come, become your children again, and that is through Jesus Christ. We are sorry for our sins and we pray that you may forgive us through Jesus' death. And if anyone here this morning has not trusted in you, O oh God, help them to consider who you are, the loving Heavenly Father, and help them to understand that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. And we pray that they may put their faith and trust in you for the first time in the very near future. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.